0: But we are wrapping up our sermon series on the big issue of finances today. Is anyone glad that it's coming to an end? Come on, you can woo. Woo! Right? We're wrapping up our sermon series on finances this morning. And here's what's really interesting about it. This is one of those series that as a minister, all true confessions, I was dreading. Um, But... I've had more powerful conversations in the last three weeks than other sermon series. Not the most, but a lot. Because the moment you start dealing with the issues of finances, you start getting to the core of people. Because for some people, it's a stronghold that, that they can never have enough. And for others, it's this place of they just can't survive. And in a world that we live in today, that when you're in this area it is very difficult to just deal with the topic of money because you're either, you're either trying to, 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 to be ahead of everyone or you're trying to catch up to everyone. And there's this battle for our soul. And there's a couple things that I've really been hearing people talk about. First is that, that they were very taken back by the idea that finances are actually a condition of the heart. i had shared that Jesus, that was the thing that Jesus had talked most about that uh, a huge portion of his parables, 11 of the 39, were all in financial references. That, he has, that one out of seven verses in Luke reference finances. And it's funny when you study the Lent passages, that so many of them at the end of Jesus' life, the last 40 days, there's all these different parables and examples and then the last one, Judas. The situation with Judas had to deal with this condition of his heart. And we were talking about this, Omar and myself and one other person uh, throughout, it, w- it was uh, sometime last week, we were talking about Judas. Like, we always think like God set him up to fail, right? Don't we look at Judas that way? Don't we look at King Saul that like, God birthed these human beings to fail? Don't we read that? in our providential reading, that we, that we see that God almost started these people's lives to have great failure. But then here's my challenge. Why did Jesus trust Judas with one of the most important roles in the group of the disciples? King Saul. Why did God, the Holy Spirit, fall on King Saul in such a way that his life was changed and transformed that people did not recognize him. What about Pharaoh? Let's bring up one other Pharaoh. Pharaoh it says that God repeatedly repeatedly softened his heart. And so there's this place of tension that even though these things had to play out that God was still at work in these individuals' lives. And so even though we can look back and see what happened, the end of the story, there was something deeper going on in the lives of these human beings. And so when I bring this up, people are kind of shocked that, like, wow, I, I really never recognized that, that my, my understanding, my view of finances is actually a, a heart condition. It's what God wants to deal with in my heart. And the second thing, it was this whole idea of Jehovah Jireh. God is my What? My provider. Do we really trust that God is our provider? And at the end of the service last week, I, I had someone literally run up to me and almost pushed like three people out of the way and said, do you know God was wrestling with me this all this week? Even this morning, God was telling me that I have to trust Him for my provisions before I ever came to church. You see, there's this big tension in our lives with, with God. Do we truly, truly believe that God loves us, that He cares for us, and that He will work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called by His name? And there's this tension. And it's something that I hate to talk about too, because in some ways I almost feel like the guinea pig. Okay, Rob, you go talk about it, right? Hey, 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 hey. That's kind of when I want to kind of like drag my feet. But i got to say this, over the last three weeks, God has just been ripping me apart in such a way that He wants to constantly put me in a place of asking me the question, Rob, am I your Jehovah Jireh? Am I your provider? Rob, how is your heart when you look at other people and what they have Rob, why do you or do you not compare yourself in the place of materialism? And I feel like so often we're, we're willing to talk about so many issues in the church, but there's certain ones that we don't want to deal with. But I know this, that even in the last three weeks, that God has brought liberty and freedom to people in a way that if we did not bring this up, they would not have it. And so as you know that I'm okay with uncomfortable topics, but I'm only okay, and you, this is where you have to hear me, and I say this in humility, so I'll, I'll step down for this. <clears throat> I'm only okay with that which is uncomfortable if there's a redemption story in the end. That's it. I don't want to talk about topics that to talk about topics because they're the hot topics Because other people are talking about them. I only want to talk about the things that bring redemption. That bring restoration. That take something that's broken and can make it even better than before. And so I know this. That God wants to get us to the place to us being in a complete area of knowing that God is not just our provider, but He's the one that blesses us. He's the one that puts us in certain situations that we can flourish. That He can put us in areas that that His name is glorified by the different things that we do in our lives. And I don't want us to be a a people, a church, a community that's always feeling behind the eight balls. Because that's not how God has created us. Amen? Seriously, amen? God does not want you to live behind the eight ball. God does not want you to live in a place of oppression. Whether it's relationally, whether it's substantially, Drugs, alcohol, finance, whatever it is. He doesn't want you to be spiritually. He doesn't want you to be emotionally behind the eight ball. He wants you to come to a place in your life that you are flourishing in how He made you. I truly believe this, and then I'm going to jump into the sermon. Every time that God had allowed my wife and I to have a child, that the moment that child was conceived that God had a dream for them. God had a plan and a purpose. And that God is going to live out that plan and purpose if my children and if I allow me to sit in a place of His authority. And I'll say this, The only reason Christians do not flourish, and the only reason the church does not flourish, and the only reason why so many suburban churches struggle is because they've never learned to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? Seriously. And I want to tell you something that atmosphere has to shift. There has to be a shift that the moment we stop, remember I used that that example of half fast, that commercial half fast. The moment you fully jump into the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is the moment that you release the power and the presence of God in every single area. And I really believe that this is one of those areas, finances. That holds us back, that causes us to question God, that causes us to really understand whether or not He loves us or will provide for us. And I really believe with all of my soul that if we were going to take a soul inventory, that God will be more than our provider. He will reveal his blessings. And we will go through seasons of scarcity because the people of Israel did. But God will be present in all of our stuff. And this is how we're going to wrap up the series. And then we're going to put it to rest for a while. I'll still talk about it, I'll still bring it up. But but this has been three hard weeks of, of very to the point messages. We're going to talk about debt this morning. And I'm going to tell you this, right now everyone's starting to squirm already, right? Anyone squirm? Right? Josh is squirming. You almost raised your hand. <laughs> this I'm going to be very vulnerable right now. This has been my struggle. When Sue and I started out in this whole idea of vocational ministry, we went wherever God called us. And it's been a financial battle. And we're finally in a place that we are beginning to get out of this thing called debt. And we know that some of the hardest conversations that we have had as a couple, some of the times that we have questioned our calling, some of the times that we've said, maybe we're better off just being really good lay leaders in a church, has never been because of people. Well, sometimes. But really, it's been the tension of can we survive? And what we have done is we have really have set in motion, and I actually spent all day yesterday redoing my budget. Because I know that God wants to be my rescuer. That God wants to be my Jehovah Jireh. And so sometimes preachers will come up here and they'll talk about how they don't have debt and praise God for them. I'm telling you in my complete vulnerability that this has been something that my wife and I are presently dealing with and that we are doing everything that I'm going to talk about this morning and that I'm going to hand out today to that we are in a situation that we are saying that we no longer and we can make every reason why we have had debt school we could say medical bills we can say this or that but what we have done is we've identified an issue in our lives and we've said no more no more. That's me being vulnerable with you. Because I think too often is these ministers come up and they, just, they almost preach something that some of them live and a lot of them don't. And so I'm going to confess my sin to you. That right now what God has been dealing with me is, Rob, no more dead. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a few statistics. Do you know that the average household has over $15,000 in credit card debt? Do you know that? Do you know that the average mortgage debt is $155,000? Now, for some of you that you're thinking like, that's not a big, that's a small little mortgage. Yeah, because you have to remember they took in like Dunk, Nebraska, Dunk, Tennessee, and they're not looking at us here in Bergen County, New Jersey, where our taxes are $1,000. School debt. That's the average school debt a student has. Now, let me tell you this. That school debt number will triple in the next four years because right now people are paying 40, 50, 60, $65,000 a year to go to college. Now, here's what I want to hit on this morning. I'm not talking about business debt. And I'm really not focusing on, on school debt because we realize that school debt, that's you, you have to go to college. But how do you manage that? How do you choose a school? And that could be a whole nother pastoral conversation. But what I'm talking about is consumer debt. We can make excuses why we have debt. Medical bills. We can make excuses for other things. Helping out family members. We can make up other, other reasons. We had to get this. My car broke down. We can make up all of these reasons. But that's not the only reason why we're in debt. If we were to really be honest with ourselves and open our Discover or our Visa or our MasterCard and went through each of the things, there may be a percentage of certain things, but at the same time, Starbucks. Okay? Dunkin' Donuts. Right? Marie Ann's Deli up here on the corner. Right? All these different... Disney World. Right? We can do all these things. But here's what I want to get to. God wants to bring us back to our original intent. To be people of blessing. Turn with me to to Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 12. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 12. Now... So much of our financial situation is actually viewed upon by how we grew up, correct? We either mimic how we grew up or we're trying to be the complete opposite of how we grew up. And I've shared a few times about Omar, about how he grew up and, and what he's done. And I will say this, there are many things about Omar. When you meet Omar, he has more wisdom than his age will ever show. He, he has more wisdom than being, what are you, 32? 32. 32. He is not a 32-year-old. Omar has been one of the most wise young men I've ever had in my life. And for me, is even though we work together and I'm his boss and I'm his mentor and I'm his discipler and I'm his all these different roles, I'm kind of like his big papa too, all these different things, there are so many things that I learn from. And one of the things that I have loved to watch about Omar is to see that the the financial situation that he grew up in, that at a young age, he put his feet in the ground and he said, I will not do this. Right? And he has mirrored, even for me, even for me, the power of God's promises. And what we're going to read right now in Deuteronomy 28 is is the word that God God gave to the people of Israel. Let's read this together. If you fully obey the Lord your God and, and carefully keep all His commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Now listen to this. This is what God was setting in motion for the people of Israel. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offsprings of your herds and the flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and bread boards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be what? Blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. What's the one word He says in every single sentence? Bless. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, the Lord will establish you as a holy people. As He swore He would do. What did He swear? He swore in the garden of evil that He would make Adam and Eve a fruitful blessing to humanity. What did He tell Abraham? That He was going to be a blessing to all nations. Not a nation but all nations. What did He tell Moses what was going to happen? Everything that God swore to His people, He was going to see this come to fruition. If they chose not to do it, He was going to find another individual. If they were not going to do it, He was going to find another individual. God was going to fulfill what He promised. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people Claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in all of you. And all the nations will see that you were claimed, that you were marked by God, and you will be a blessing. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land He swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with my children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from His rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations. And here's the, here's the ending. But you will never need to borrow from them. How does it end? You will lend to many nations, but you will never borrow from them. This is what God's intention was for the people of Israel. That God would pour out His blessings so much that the whole world would be in awe of them. That the people of Israel would have so much that there would be such abundance that they would see God's hands of provision. That there would be times of drought. But at the right, proper time, the heavens would open up and the treasury of rain would fall down on the people of Israel and crops would grow. Think about the last plague. The last plague of Moses was the, the death of the Egyptian children. All the Egyptian children die, and This is something that we can't understand or fathom and it's, I don't even want to get into it. But think about this every single Israelite family that marked their house as a claim for God, those children lived. And they were the children in their 40s that would have been living in the Promised Land. Do you ever think about that? That the babies that, were, that, that survived the plague were the babies that were the ones that worked the field In the promised land. And here's what we have to believe. Let me say it better. This is what I have to believe. That that's what God wants for us. Even in a culture that thrives on debt. That God does not want us to be people of this world. But He wants us to be so uniquely set apart. What's the word for set apart? What's the theological word? Sanctified. Set apart. Holy for Him that the world stands in awe. You see, that's what happened with the early church. The early church was so into God's provision that they shared everything they had with everyone, that it wasn't 10%. It was everything they had was God's and God flourished them and literally it just exploded and the world sat in awe. If you read a book by Michael Green called Evangelism in the Early Church, we only look at at Acts for a moment and see what God did in the book of Acts. But if you study the history of the early church, hundreds of years, that's considered the early church. God's church flourished. Because the world looked at them, not just because of the signs and wonders, not because of of the great preaching, not just because of the worship, But they looked at the church and said, they are set apart. And we need to ask ourselves, do we really look any different than the world? Do the way we act, do the way we speak the things that we listen to and watch, the things that we try to compare ourselves, the the measuring rods that we have in life, are we really any different than the world? And then let's flip it around and say, are we any different than the world of how we spend our money and handle our finances? I'll share one little thing with you is I've always leased a car because I just thought it's... I, I, I was given by a good Christian man the wisest thing to do because of what you do. Get a leased car because... It's just, it's always working. It's always, you always have a new car. And and I bought into that. Until Sue and I both went back to, both went full time to work. And we're traveling 20,000 miles a year. Literally, our cars have 40,000 miles a year. Do you know how much money I will owe on a lease if I'm driving 20,000 miles a year? And I'm stopping it. I'm not buying that lie anymore. Because what I'm doing is I'm just throwing money away. And so what I actually did this weekend, I actually found a new used car for a whole lot cheaper than a lease. And I'm going to probably end up buying it. I'm going to get out of my lease. I'm going to get out of anything that I owe on it. I'm just going to say, I can't do this anymore. I can make every excuse to have it, but I feel like I'm trapped by the world. Am I any different than the world? If you looked at my checkbook and you saw how I give, you'd say, "Wow, you are different than the world." That's true. I'll confess that. I give like a banshee. I love giving. It's not even the whole idea of tithing and provisions. That's not even a question. But what about everything else in my life? Is all of it, am I living this balanced life that God would look at my checkbook and say, "You are set apart." You are set apart. And that's the big question that we need to ask. Do we want to be the people of God where God is blessing and God is flourishing and people look at us and we are more generous than we are protective? Not just as a church, but as individuals. So why? Why is debt such a problem? Why is debt such an issue for all of us? Why has debt caused this tension in all of our lives in some capacity? Whether it's mortgage, whether it's, whether it's credit cards, whether it's whatever it is. Why? And here's what I want to do is I want to talk about five things what debt is. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Five things that the debt is that we see in Scripture, not what Rob conjured up, not what Rob figured out, but five things in Scripture that debt is. First, Proverbs twenty-two seven. Let's read this: Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. Debt is slavery. Debt puts us in a place of bondage that someone else has authority and bondage over us. And when you are in debt, and your debt gets out of a place of control that it's almost as if you cannot control it anymore, and you're looking at all of your, all of your interest rates and all these different things, all of a sudden, debt becomes your master. We know that illustration of golden handcuffs, right? Golden handcuffs, something that looks so pretty and all of a sudden you're looking at it and and it looks like it's going to work for you and it's something you need to have. The television, the vacation. I can't tell you how many young families have come up to me and said, Rob, I feel the pressure that I have to go to Disney World. I'm going to throw it on a credit card. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Thankfully, we've never done that. We've never done anything like that, but there are so many families that I have talked to in the years where they're saying, I, I, "I just can't take the pressure of society, and my kids are making me go to Disneyland, and I'm putting it on Discover, and all of a sudden you get there and it's gold, and you go clip, clip, and you're paying for it for the next ten years." You now, what's it cost to go to Disneyland? Well, a lot of you know. For me to send my family to Disneyland would be about $8,000. And right now, I don't have $8,000 to send my, my family to Disneyland. Now, is that wrong? It's not wrong. Especially if you're able to financially handle it. But we look at it and debt becomes our master. Second, debt is considered a curse. When you look at Deuteronomy 28, what God is telling the people of Israel is that I want to make you a blessing so that other people do not have a stronghold over you and you are cursed by your poor decisions. What is a curse? A curse is a stronghold. Like slavery, but different. Something that keeps us always behind. Something that pushes us into the dark. Something that never lets us get ahead. And the reality is, is debt is a curse. And that's why I say that so many times in our life that we have patterns from how we grew up. And if you grew up in a home with a lot of debt, and you have a lot of debt, I bet you I know where that curse came from. Past. What, is the, what does the Bible say that, about sin? It says that, that in sin, parents will be punished to the third and fourth generation. But in Jesus Christ, He breaks that curse, He breaks that power, He breaks that authority that we no longer have to live under a curse of anything. We don't have to live under a curse of relationships. We don't have to live under a curse of of addictions. We don't have to live under a curse of, of sexuality. We don't have to live under a curse of finances. We don't have to live under a curse of anything. Amen? Amen. And I know right now, just knowing the atmosphere, knowing that I'm your pastor, that this is a hard topic Because you're probably thinking like, wow, am I under some kind of like curse? If you're living in constant debt, something has a stronghold over you. And God wants to break it this morning. God wants that that curse to be broken. Do you know what I've been doing around my house? Because I believe that God has such blessings over my family. And I truly believe, I truly believe that God is going to bless the Parkers like we could never, ever imagine. I say all the time, and I say this in front of my son, I believe in the the healing power of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I'm an idiot. I preach and I don't believe it. And I've been marching around my house every single night. Sue's like, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I forgot a shovel in the yard, but there's snow out there. And I pop my boots on and I go around my house and I just pray. I want God's authority, God's power, God's presence to be on my family. And if Joshua did it and success came, I'll do it too. Amen? I don't want curses. I don't want any of that garbage in my house. I don't want financial restraints to hold back what God has in store. Next. Can't see. Debt is a reflection of our character. This is the hardest one for me. Let me read you the verse. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Look at that. Debt is an issue of our character. You know, if I was some pompous, arrogant pastor, I could sit here and point the finger at you and say, how's your character doing, Omar? I can call him out. How's your character? But I could have to take a hard look at myself and say, God, I feel like I've done everything in your name. I opened my house, and then I've fallen into the trap. And I felt like God has said, Rob, this is a character issue you know what your problem is, Rob? It's your pride. It's your pride. And I really think that if we were to sit down and look at our debt and look at how we have spent our money, and again, we can justify a lot of things. It's a character issue. It's a trust issue. Debt presumes... Upon tomorrow. Let me read this passage from James. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life ought to say, if if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. We've all fallen prey to this. Maybe not all. But a vast majority of you is that we've taken out debt and assuming tomorrow, whether it be a raise, whether it be a promotion, whether it be an an expectancy from a family member, that oftentimes we will take out debt presuming that we know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Sue and I, again, I'm just being vulnerable with you all. Yesterday, as I, was, I sat down and I made her sit there making the budget, and, 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 and it was hard. We made a budget. We said, and we do this every year. We do this every year. So it's not like something new. And I said, we're, we're, we're looking at the budget again. She's like, not today. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. It's raining. We're home. There's nothing going on. Why do we have to look at the budget, right? So Lukey comes up to me. goes, you know you made mom upset. I'm like, uh, thanks, Lukey, Uh, go in your room. Um, But we were talking about the summer. What are we going to do? And we really sat there, and we we just kind of put a stake in the ground that we're not going to make poor vacations decisions. That's not based on our budget. And of course, I get a call from my brother. Hey, what's going on this summer? I'm like, jerk. We can't presume upon tomorrow. And here's a last one. And this is, not, this is more of a, a big overview of the Bible. Debt denies us from being generous. Debt denies us from being generous. How many times have you, have you had an inclination to give? And you're like, God, you're putting it on my heart, but I can't. God, I want to, but I won't. But yet you'll run and you'll spend $5 on a latte. That's a reality. The beauty of the people of Israel, the beauty of the early church, the beauty of Abraham and Moses was that they were generous. And they welcomed everyone in. Do you, know, Mo, do, you, do you realize that Abraham was a pagan? Do you realize that? Do you realize, and I thought about this about Moses. This is something I just thought about Moses this week. Do you realize, even though we think Moses grew up in this, this great, simple life in a palace, do you know what kind of lifestyle he lived before God spoke to him? He lived in like the most pagan, you know, Gods and goddesses world where people were like having all these crazy events, getting drunk, having all these different affairs. And that was the lifestyle that Moses grew up in. That's all he knew. We think that he had this little inclination that he was an Israelite and and everything was perfect and there's Moses around everyone else and and everyone else is living these wild lives. Why was Moses' life no different than Pharaoh's? Man, I'll give you an argument. I'll write a book and I'll make lots of money and get out of debt. But seriously, Moses lived the very same lifestyle as Pharaoh did. And God rescued him out of that lifestyle. He rescued him out of a life of security. He rescued him out of a life of paganism. He rescued him out of a life of, of all these endless things. And all of a sudden, God showed up and God dealt with Moses' heart. That's why when you read about Moses, it was such A struggle and a battle because he had two conflicting worlds that God was trying to say, I want to rescue you out of here so you can live in the fullness of my blessings. Is that wild? Man, we have dumbed down, cheapened down, and rated G the Bible. God is a rescuer, taking people out of the worst and putting them into the best. And that's what he's saying to us. Let me just say this. There's two things that I've done with my debt. One, accountability. Let me give you the story again. I was in a situation with a lease. They gave me a perfect deal to release something. They were going to give me all the mileage I want and everything else. And I called two people. I called my wife, and I called my friend. And I gave them both veto power to say no. And my wife said, "Rob, I trust you." I called my friend, and he said no. And I canceled the and I canceled the lease. That was a hard decision. And you know what I said to my friend? He's like, "Is there something going on on your phone?" Yeah, it's my butts. And I chose not to. And even this weekend, Lord willing, he provided the perfect car for me. And I'm not going to come in with like three wheels. Like I'm not going to come in with like a a beater. It's actually something that I've been praying for. I have accountability. And I never stop giving. Never. Never. Because if I believe that God's going to pull me out of debt, then I believe that he's my provider and that what's his is his. What's his is his. And so my giving hasn't gone down. It's actually gone up. Because I want to put God to the test. You you want to play a game? God, let's play a game. I'm going to keep giving to you and see if you can pull me out of this. Here's three things we need to do this morning. First, we need to recognize if we are in a place of debt. We need to to recognize this this issue we have with debt. You see, whenever Jesus confronted anyone, he confronted them with the deepest heart thing. The woman at the well, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, uh, all of them, the the guy who came running down from the mountain and was, was demonized. He made them recognize their situation. We need to recognize. Where are we? Where are we in the span of this? Is $1,000 okay to be in debt? What about $2,000? I can pay it off. What about all these different things? Like just, they just keep adding up and adding up. We need to recognize our circumstances. Second, we need to repent. Repentance means to identify your sin and turn to God It doesn't mean I'm saying my sorry. It says, I'm believing that you are my provider and I'm in need of provision. I recognize you are my provider and I'm in need of provision. And we need to say, God, forgive me. I thought I was doing it right. Everyone else was doing it. I fell into the trap. Forgive me. Forgive me. And lastly, it's reclaim it. Holy Spirit, today I take on this debt that has controlled me and I am cutting it off. I am reclaiming my heart, my mind, my finances, and even my debt that this is yours. And today is the day that I'm going to receive the blessings of God. This is one of those forgiveness sin issues. That we need to come to jesus this is actually like a come to jesus moment some of you have heard me say that before this is a come to jesus moment we just need to say i'm going to stop it you know we want to stop this we want to stop that we want to stop what we're watching we want to stop what we're doing we want to stop our anger we want to stop our frustration we want to stop all these things but today god is saying i want you to be like the israelites a blessing to the world I want people to see you. And all they see is God. God. God's blessing. God's presence. God all over you. And this is one of those areas that no longer does God want the enemy to have a stronghold. Amen? Seriously, amen? Who wants to live like that? Who? Let's stop making excuses and begin to be one of those churches that blesses the world. Let's be one of those churches. You know what my prayer was this morning? God, make the plant the biggest blessing in this community. Think about what's in this community. Striker. That was the first thing that popped up. Do you really trust me to be bigger than striker? That's what I felt God saying. Think about all the corporations here in Mawa and what God wants the plant to be. Such a blessing to the world that all they see is God. People in need, God we help out. Overseas missions, God we help out. Habitat for Humanity, God we help out. Why should we not be a church that's building homes for people who are struggling financially? Why not? Why should we not do the things that we read about? I'm sick of reading about other people's stories. Let's be the church that rewrites the story of God in our area. And shame on the suburban church for not living the church of James where they were so blessed that all they did is live generously. That's what these suburban churches are supposed to be. So blessed that we are so generous that people are like, I want some of that. And I don't mean some of that like this. I mean some of that as in, I need to have that power, that direction, that peace, that I don't need all this other garbage. That's where it begins. Amen? Amen. Listen, I love you. I love you. I love you. No one says, I love you too. You love me too? You love me too. Thank you. Thank you. I love you guys. I have the best for you. And I want us to be able to tackle these things in a way that we have a Redeemer. And he's redeeming us. Amen? Recognize. Repent. And reclaim that ground. Let's make it fertile again. I want to invite the band to come forward. We're going to go into a song of meditation before we go into communion. Let's do this. As you come forward, this is something that you're wrestling with. Just say, I'm reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming it.